You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now your hosts, Daniel Sanangelo and Trey Harris. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. Give me a minute. Okay, I'm good. Welcome, everybody, to 80s Revisited. I can't do this. No, everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of 80s Revisited. Sorry for taking so long this week, but we had to make sure that this one will be real good because mm. it's dealing with quite possibly the greatest motion picture ever made. Definitely the greatest science fiction movie ever made, in my opinion, and other people's opinions, as we'll get to later. But of course, the Harrison Ford 1982 classic, Blade Runner. Of course, I'm Trey Harris. I'm Daniel Sanangelo. And with us, as always, is our 100% completely human producer, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. <laughs> Might have to double-check that. <laughs> uh, but that's right, everybody. Blade Runner. Of course, I've gushed over this movie several times on the podcast, always saying we're eventually going to do it because it's one of my favorites. And here we are, about to talk about one of the greatest movies ever made. Uh, a little background, of course. Released June 25th, 1982. Daniel wasn't even was halfway here. I was a lad of two, going on, well, two and a half, about... Did not see it in the theater, unfortunately. Uh, IMDb, 8.3. Rotten Tomatoes, however, 92%. Now, those numbers, uh, I believe they're all unified across all the versions. There's no separate entry on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes for, like, Director's Cut or Final Cut, blah, blah, blah. There's so many versions of this movie, so we'll just assume those are generalized. Uh, the budget was $28 million estimated, opening 6.1. Domestic gross, however, only 32.8. And these numbers, of course, just include the original 1982 theatrical run. Uh, the director's cut, as well as the final cut, uh, have been re-released since then, much akin to Star Wars Special Editions. So those numbers, it's gross more than that. Uh, don't have the exact number because of with all the different editions, that makes it extremely hard to find an exact number that you can confidently say that this movie actually grossed. Uh, directed by my favorite director of the 80s and probably the 90s too, Ridley Scott. Of course, he also did Legend, Alien, Gladiator, American Gangster, most recently Robin Hood. Uh, was that his most recent? It seems like he did something. Look it up. Yeah. Well, we'll have to find out just to make sure. It seems like that was the last thing that he did. Robin Hood, really? I thought so. And he's a busy producer. Yeah, he's a director. Let's just make sure. Oh, Prometheus. Duh, that's what I was trying to think of. Prometheus. Wow. People are yelling at their radios right now. <laughs> Duh. And, uh, oh, by the way, the unannounced Blade Runner project is on IMDb now. So, because ever since Prometheus has sort of returned to the Alien universe, there was always talk about him returning to the Blade Runner universe. So oh, that's good. It is mm. something that is being, you know, on the fringe of Hollywood. We'll see what happens. 
uh, written by Hampton Fancher and David Peoples, and of course based on the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. Uh, it's, you know, it's based on a novel, but you know, it's, it takes themes from the novel. It's not like one of those, uh, I guess, like, a, I don't know, the Harry Potter books, I guess, or something that's more closer to the novel. Or, I'm sorry, the movie that's close to the novel. This is not like, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't name it Do Androids Read Electric Sheep. Well, first of all, that would be kind of an annoying title. Yeah. I don't have to say. But, uh, you know, it, it basically takes the theme of, you know, the, of that vision of the future, so to speak, and everything. So, very loosely based. But starring the birthday boy. Of course, we're recording this today on July 27th. I mean, uh, not 27th. <laughs> 13th, excuse me. Today is Harrison Ford's birthday. Happy birthday. He is, what, what do we say, 71? Yep, 71. Yeah, 71. 71 years young, and no matter what, he will never die, because <laughs> he will live forever. Uh, of course, he was Rick This Decker. just in, Harrison Ford. <laughs> Heart attack. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 5.18 p.m. Central Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be a sad day. But, uh, of course, you might know him from such other films as Star Wars, Trilogy, Indiana Jones, Quadrilogy, unfortunately, The Fugitive, Presumed Innocent, Witness, uh, the remake of Sabrina, or Sabrina, depending on who you are and how you talk about it. And, of course, he is, has said that he will be in the new Star Wars, thanks to J.J. Abrams, the post-prequel, or uh, the post-trilogy, not the prequel trilogy, I guess. Is there, right. like, a word for that, other than you have a prequel? Sequel trilogy, it's I just, guess. Yeah. It's just going. Yeah. It's just going on. It's going on and on. Keep it moving here. Uh, the villainous Rutger Hauer as Roy Batty. Of course, he was in Sin City, Blonde Fury, and the TV, I mean, not the TV show, but... uh the first movie for Buffy the Vampire Slayer with uh, Luke Perry and what's her name? Chrissy Swanson. You saw that poster hanging in my room in the 90s. My video store that I've mentioned on this podcast before. Or occasionally they'd give out free like little mini posters and I had Christy Swanson hanging right next to my bed in her Buffy mm-hmm. garb. So it was pretty nice. Uh, the And also starring at this, the, at this time extremely beautiful Sean Young as Rachel. Most people will probably remember her though as Lieutenant Einhorn from Ace Ventura. And probably did not find her attractive after that. But she was also in uh, Stripes with Bill Murray and uh, Harold Ramis' the great 1980s comedy. I wish I had that one. <laughs> we're talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer posters. Uh, <laughs> also starring Edward James Olmos. Of course, I had to have some bad acting when he was a kid or something. As Gaff. Uh, most modern people might recognize him as Captain Adama in the Battlestar Galactica update television show, blah, blah, blah. And also Wolfen and in the upcoming Machete Kills which should be pretty good. Uh, mm-hmm. K. Mitt Walsh was Bryant. Uh, you might have recognize him from Harry and the Hendersons, and I've never seen it but my best friend's wedding. I just didn't want to say he was in one thing because he's mm-hmm. been in a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah, he's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, a lot of TV, too, so I didn't bother writing all that crap down. But uh, Daryl Hannah, it's Pris, lovely Pris in this movie. Of course, recently Kill Bill, Volume 1 and 2, and the movie that made her star, Splash, with 80s icon Thomas Hanks. Not yet covered. That's true. Maybe one day. Have you seen it, Daniel? No. Nope. You've seen Splash? Oh, wow. You went for a treat. Why do you like a Tom Hanks? Why do find out when his birthday is and do like Turner and Hooch and Splash? He got only did one. Big. What's another big 80s movie? Big. The only one you did was Money Pit. Yeah. Of his. That would be one I would have suggested for that, but we already did it, so. Yeah. Yeah, we'll work on that. Uh, where was I? Uh, William Sanderson was J.F. Sebastian. Uh, his claim to fame is that he was on the Bob, or not, or the Newhart television show, just the Newhart one, not the Bob Newhart television show, but he was Larry, and he had his brother Daryl, and his other brother Daryl, and that was really the only other big, big thing he was from, but apparently he's also in True Blood, which I don't watch, and he was in The Rocketeer, 
Uh, Brian James, who's no longer with us, was Leon Kowalski. Uh, he was in the Fifth Element. He was the uh, not the bumbling general with the president, but the uh, guy trying to recruit. Uh, yeah, uh, Corbin Dallas, Corbin Bruce Dallas. Willis. Uh, what else was he in? Oh, he's also in Enemy Mind with Dennis Quaid, which is a great 80s movie. And also General Monroe. There you in, go. Uh, Fifth Element. And also the legendarily awesome Tango and Cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, big cast on this one, too, so I'm trying to run through it. Uh, Joe Turkle was Dr. Ellen Tyrell. Daniel, you should recognize him immediately as the bartender from The Shining. But he was mm-hmm. also in another Stanley Kubrick movie called Paths of Glory with Kirk Douglas, which is a really good black and white war film. Uh, the lovely Joanna Cassidy was Zora. Of see, course. That's. That's the one I didn't even see. You didn't? That's the one I looked up and I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, Del- she was Dolores and Roger Rabbit. Yeah. She was also the mom and Don't Tell Mom, the babysitter's dead. And the person who's been, he's like Steve Martin. You know, Steve Martin's had gray hair in every single movie I've ever seen him in, or even back in the SNL days. But James Hong looked like an elderly Chinese man in this movie 30 years ago. And he still, <laughs> you know, he still look, he looks the same. He's in that new movie. Uh, uh, yeah, R.I.P.D. Yeah. Uh, but he, he was Hannibal Chu. And of course... He is a long-standing veteran of 80s Revisited, being the villainous, uh, I don't forgot his damn name in Big Trouble Little China. Uh, you saw, oh, son of a bitch. I can see him, I can't think of his that. name. I'm glad what you year was remember that? that. 80-something. <laughs> it was 80-something. <laughs> oh, hold on, I can see him. 82? Lopan, Lopan. 86. He was Lopan. David Lopan. Yeah, Lopan in Big Trouble Little China. He was the voice of uh, the dad in uh, <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. And also the upcoming, like you mentioned, R.I.P.D., which looks good, although it's just Men in Black meets Ghostbusters. Yeah. But Jeff Bridges, apparently after True Grit, he wants to look, the, it must be in his contract that he looks the same in every movie now. Because yeah, he, he looks the same in that. And then he looks, there's some other new movie coming out called like The Seventh Something with him. And yet he has, it, looks like it's a, it looks like a medieval movie, but he still has that, <laughs> that same kind of goatee on the poster. So That's what I'm going with. So uh, now, just for all the Blade Runner purists out there, just full disclosure, uh, the main one we're going to be talking about, or that Daniel Watch, I should say, is the director's cut, the 1992 release director's cut. Uh, the theatrical version, anybody who's seen it, I believe we can all agree, if you're as big a, big, a, big a fan of this movie as I am, you know that it's really not, it doesn't compare to the director's cut. Uh, we'll discuss the differences later, but let's get on to hear what Daniel has to say about this film. Now, Daniel, it's not going to hurt my feelings if you say you didn't like it. Because I know it's a good movie, no matter what you say. We just won't be friends. <laughs> yeah, you know, we'll end the podcast. This will be this will be the last episode of Eighties Visit. But of course, you've never seen this movie. Of course, you've heard me talk about it before. Mm-hmm. So, what did you think of Blade Runner? <laughs> I'm sorry. stabbing you with my eyes right now. <laughs> I need to watch it more. I think yeah. it got built up a little too much for a first viewing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's one of those you go back and watch it. You'd probably oh yeah. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. When I even read after I watched it, I read the synapse. I'm like, eh, it's better. <laughs> <laughs> but discuss what you what you like about it. What you didn't like? It, I don't. I don't really know. Like, uh, it was. You made it out to me to sound way more epic than it was. Like I'm <laughs> expecting some like two and a half hour movie, mm-hmm. an hour and forty nine minutes or something like that. Harrison Ford did a good job, but he never doesn't so true or i said that wrong we knew what you meant double negative but sean young did pretty well i I mean there wasn't like anything i just didn't like about it you were just expecting a different caliber than a little bit at least on a first viewing like Mm -hmm. shining blew me away never watched a single up i don't know if it got built up too much that could be because you were talking about i mean it didn't work out that way but having this is the 50th one 
I know mm. you want to be big and stuff. But that's all right. <laughs> you don't have to yeah. apologize. No, but like, uh, I, it, it, it was entertaining. I, I didn't say, like, I don't dislike it. Yeah. It wasn't Big Trouble in Little China or, you know, some of those. But I'd have to watch it again. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's perfectly understandable. Mm-hmm. I mean, Blade Runner is, it's, it's a pure sci-fi movie. And what I mean by that is, like, you you know I've always been more of a fan of yeah fantasy. more of the fantasy aspect yeah. I mean that's why you never saw Star Wars till mm-hmm. you're on this podcast uh, you know but it's uh, it's sort of and I'm the the closest comparison to it to a modern sci-fi movie and this is just off the top of my head there had similarities but Minority Report would be yeah. an example because it's Blade Runner was a, they honestly tried to make it a realistic vision of the future but the future from the novel. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and basic. And I, I hate using the term steampunk, but you know, it has a distinct look to it. A few, uh, excuse me, not steampunk. Scratch that out of existence. A future noir, as opposed yeah. to film noir, because uh, that was a big inspiration for the movie. The was raining to, all the time was to make it be like a science fiction film noir, like a detective story, which mm-hmm. he does. He does do detecting it. You know, he's trying to find these replicants. Uh, everything. So it's it's. I mean, to me, it's almost like a futuristic Casablanca. Sometimes it seemed like a lot of these uh, characters, what's the girl's name? Pris. Right, or Pris, yeah. Got built up enough and then does a couple of little flips and gets shot. Like, I, I would have, I would have wanted, I wanted her to like beat his ass for a, mm-hmm. a good bit of time and like he does some, something yeah. else. He just, you know. yeah, I mean, I, I, agree, I understand that completely. And the thing is, uh, also, of course, we watched the director's cut. Now, on the in the international version and the final cut version, uh, well, the international cut. The difference between that, the international cut and the director's cut and uh, the theatrical version is that the international cut had a few extra gory scenes, mm. like during that fight. I mean, very short. Like I think he actually shoots Pris three times, and mm. like she like there's maybe a couple more seconds of a fight there. But I think I think simply like that's done because Deckard's not a superhero, you know, or he's not like he's not he's not a good fighter. He's a scrapper. Uh, baddies the fight like he like he, like uh, um, Bryant tells him like you know this is a combat unit you know blah, well they're all kind of combat units so to speak you know so they're they have the ability to fight but he's just more I mean you know depending on your interpretation of the movie oh let me ask you this. oh uh, quick timeout real quick is what do you think of Harrison Ford's Deckard you think he's a human or a replicant before we proceeded to discuss anymore I think he's a human mm-hmm. and again you saw the director's cut so. You see, I mean, that's that's kind of the ver- the theatrical version. Real quick, real, real quick aside, the theatrical version it has an opening narration, and it has a happy ending. And there's no unicorn dream in the director's. I mean, uh, theatrical version. The biggest thing about uh, the director's cut that makes the entire movie different, even more so than the voiceover, is the fact that while he's playing the piano before he goes and shoots the stripper, I believe, or Zora, he has a he's kind of like you know sleeping, in daydreaming a bit, and he has a, a unicorn yeah. vision. And then in the end, Gaff leaves that origami unicorn mm-hmm. on the ground. Now that, now to me it's ambiguous because he makes, well we're kind of getting a bit ahead of ourselves on the podcast, but uh, Couldn't you kind of ask the question of Sean Young, does she actually live? I mean, she's a replicant, but this Yeah. Well see, you don't know. That's, a, that, that, that's why I love the director's cut and in a, in a sense the final cut is basically, the final cut is basically the director's cut with the international version, the gory stuff put in, but it, it's more like a Star Wars special edition, the final cut. He, Ridley Scott finally went back, touched up the effects, reshot the scene where Zora's running through the glass because the stunt woman looks right at the camera and you see it's not her for one shot. Mm-hmm. And they fixed all sorts of little things with it. So to me, the final cut is sort of like the special edition version of the movie. Uh, of course, the version I fell in love with was the uh, director's cut because that's the one that made the movie a cult hit. 
like truly a cult hit. When the director's cut came out, it was like, okay, this movie, excuse me, that one little pretty, pretty much eliminating the voiceover and that unicorn scene changes the entire dynamic of the entire film. Those two little things. So what do you think? Yeah. I think it's I think it's ambiguous, but my thought is that he's human. Now, uh, I guess we might as well talk about that now because we brought it up. But uh, Harrison Ford and the writer would agree with us. Ridley Scott, however, says he's a replicant. Mm. So, and, but again, the director's cut is to me is ambiguous, and that adds to the greatness of the movie, and also reflecting the film noir style. Towards it, you know, you don't need something. I like the wrestler. Like we, we brought it up before. Like those kind of endings were like, you kind of know. But you know it's still open. Like mm. it, it, it breeds discussion and ta- and everything. Because, of course, the cut and dried answer is well. He had a unicorn vision, and Gaff made a uni- origami unicorn. You know, so obviously he knows his memories. That could be the case. That very well could. Or I mean, Gaff also made a fucking duck and a dude origami thing, and there was no you know for no reason, or for no particular, you know thing that that paid off later, so to speak. Or uh, some people just think that you know it it, it could symbolize the fact that, you know. Humans have similar dreams too, and it could just, in a sense, be a coincidence or showing that humans have an affinity with each other as well, as opposed to how the robots, you know, the, the replicants, I should say, do uh, among themselves and everything. So it's 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 one of the, this is one of those movies that you can you can go watch and you can have a few drinks and talk about it for hours, mm-hmm. the different things about, it. and that's again that's the kind of movies that I like, and I know you like the, a lot of them like that too because it it breeds discussion, it exists after you're out of the theater or after the movie ends it still has a life and to me that's the just the glory of this movie aside from the brilliant directing the beautiful effects the movie looks like it was still made yesterday like it that is how i wish movies today still how i wish how movies look today how good this movie looks especially on blu-ray i mean it's crystal fucking clear it is ridiculous all practical effects of course on the the final cut they added some cg type stuff but i mean it still looks good it really doesn't detract from uh, a lot of the stuff in the film or a lot of the effects and everything. Oh, and the unicorn vision in the final cut's a little cleaner because, of course, the horn wobbles. Or this actually is the final cut. So there's less horn wobble. Yeah. But it's funny because he made this before Legend. If he had made Legend before this, he could have just popped in a shot of from Legend with the unicorns mm-hmm. and tied us few universes together, <laughs> which we'll be doing that on the podcast eventually as well. But, yeah, uh, this mo- like when I was young... Of course, the first version I ever saw this movie was a theatrical cut, but I was so young I didn't know. Like, I mean, you know, but that, and that was the only version until 1992. Uh, so it's like, you know, and then I remember as I got older, I was like, oh, let me check it. Oh, there's a director's cut. I remember seeing it originally. I don't know what the fuss is about, blah, blah, blah. And I, the Blade Runner director's cut was one of the first, it was actually the second DVD I ever bought. The first DVD I ever bought was Fist of Legend with Jet Li. For, you know, anybody wants to keep track of anything on this podcast for a possible quiz in a, on the 100th episode. Well, there you go. Uh, but yeah, and it was one of the first ever director's cuts, period, in the industry. And it was, it's almost a misnomer to say it's a director's cut simply because Ridley Scott, he, did, he was working on 1492 Conquest of Paradise at the same time, so he kind of like gave suggestions to the editor of like what to do and kind of reviewed footage, so it wasn't like he had it hands-on, like, you know, like he eventually did with the final cut. And of course, the rights to this movie was held, were held up forever before like it could get a proper Blu-ray release and... All that kind of stuff. So there's a lot, there's a ton of drama on this film that goes along with it as well. Uh, but I got a lot, I got a lot of background stuff to talk about, so I'll jump right into that real quick. Uh, like I mentioned before, chief cult film status when it's re-released in 1992. Uh, makeup designer Michael Westmore, whose daughter hosts Face Off, and he appears on the TV show Face Off that me and Jesse have mentioned before that we watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he credits Sean Young with having the most perfect lips. Thoughts? Hmm. 
I mean, they were definitely no. good lips. I wouldn't say yeah. they're the best, no. but you know, they were pretty, you know, kissable. <laughs> Not exactly, you know, DSLs, but I think they can be a lot. There's a lot better. <laughs> I think there is too. But again, this is a makeup designer in the '80s. I guess maybe just their shape. I, you know, you, of course you say Angelina, but Joanne Wiley's lips. Now, I can't argue. Hot. You can't argue yeah. with that. <laughs> There's no, can't argue with it. Uh, and get this: the original choice to play Deckard, Dustin Hoffman. Uh, yeah. He kind of wondered why <laughs> Hoffman himself wondered why he was asked to play what he what he thought was a macho character. Uh, so that he was kind of really questioning the role, but he eventually kind of said, came up and said that. Uh, was uh, the reason it didn't work out or ended up not being him and it was the fact that Hoffman wanted to make it an entirely different character than what kind of Scott had in mind for the to fit in that universe that he was creating so uh, definitely a good choice with Harrison Ford uh, oh and then speaking of the fight scene with Pris they actually hired a female gymnast to be the stunt double for uh, and they did so many rehearsal shots and rehearsing the scenes that it pretty much wore out so she had to go take a break but they needed to shoot the scene because they were over budget <laughs> Uh, so they they quickly track down a male gymnast, and there's one scene, well, at least in the director's cut, that you can see where he, at that point, is flipping towards the camera. You can tell from the musculature that it's a dude. But, I mean, it's not like her, his, her, his slash her face isn't in this, you know, it's not like a blatant stunt double thing, but I'd read that before I watched it, because having seen this movie so many times, I wanted to know some of the behind-the-scenes stuff to kind of catch it as it was coming. You can definitely tell if you're looking for it. Uh... And again, uh, you know, again, the movie is called Do Androids Dream of... I mean, I'm sorry. The novel it's based on is called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Uh, and of course, you know, how they got from that to Blade Runner. Well, Blade Runner actually comes from a title of a book by Alan Norse, uh, which is about a uh, person who... The titular, char titular character... The titular, I got boobs on the brain. Uh, <laughs> is classified as a person who sells illegal surgical instruments. So naturally, a you know, drug runner... The this dude smuggling in surgical instruments. He's a Blade Runner, so. But title's badass to me, so it works. <laughs> it makes sense. And they, in the opening crawl, they say it, these people are called Blade Runners. <laughs> you hunt rebel, get your Blade Runner. So, uh, makes sense. And you'll here's another Shining connection. Of course, we have Joe Turkle playing Tyrell, and he was the bartender in The Shining. But in the you wouldn't notice this in the version you saw because you saw the uh, the uh, director's cut. But in the theatrical version. It ends with narration. It's a happy ending. After it, same ending scene as in the uh, director's cut, the elevator door shuts and that ends the director's cut. But in the theatrical version, it shows him and Rachel riding in a car, and it shows a scene of a flyover of a lush green area mm -hmm. that was leftover footage that Kubrick shot for The Shining for the intro. <laughs> and he's just talking like, "Yeah, maybe we should live. I don't know what's gonna happen. Blah blah blah. But we'll find out together. But who does live? I don't know." That's in a nutshell for the theatrical ending. So. Uh, yeah, but that, that has two shining ties to this movie, which is pretty cool and a little unusual. Uh, but speaking of, of course, go back to the title real quick. We know the title of the book, but other titles they thought of for the name for Blade Runner was Android, Mechanosmo, and the main title they had going into it before they finally made the switch to Blade Runner was called Dangerous Days, which is actually the name of the documentary on the Blu-ray, the big full documentary. It's called Blade Runner, Making a Blade Runner, or Dangerous Days, the Making a Blade Runner. So it kind of you know, the original title comes back in a sense to, to tie in the movie. But Ridley Scott actually wanted to name the movie Gotham City because Gotham is a term, you know, a dystopia, so to speak. But Bob Kane, because, you know, Gotham City is this, Gotham City has been just trademarked. You know, you can't go around saying, yeah, in my comic book or my movie, this is Gotham City. Right. It's trademarked by Bob Kane, and Bob Kane wouldn't give him the rights. So 
that's why they ended up going with Blade Runner. And I got so many freaking notes, you guys. I got to turn the page. And I want to turn the page again. Uh, there's, there's really a lot behind the scenes of this movie that really makes, that's really relevant and just shows like how much of a mo- how much of a beast of a movie this was to shoot. So if you get tired of hearing my voice, everybody, I apologize. Because Daniel's <laughs> just kind of sitting there kind of glassy out already because I'm just going on and on with this trip. <laughs> I'll try to spice it up a little bit, keep you entertained. Uh, it was one of the first films to be released with the director's cut, which I said, of course, nowadays that's pretty commonplace. The movie will come out on DVD, Blu-ray as a director's cut straight from the theater. Uh, this is pretty funny because uh, behind the scenes, Harrison Ford and Sean Young really didn't kind of get along. But uh, that scene where she goes to leave his apartment and he slings her back inside and then they kiss and in the deleted scenes they actually have a sex scene in the movie but they cut that out. But uh, when he throws her against the blinds, he actually did it really hard and when she looks at him it's a real pissed expression. Like mm. she was really mad at him. Uh, <laughs> go the fuck up, Sean Young. What a dick. <laughs> and uh, I've always wondered this and I never knew this until I read the trivia, read, read into the movie, but you know the, the repeated geisha ad that's shown on the big blimp and the big screens and mm. everything? Do you have any idea what that ad is for? Lips, I always wondered, but never. Lipstick. No, she takes a pill. It's a oh. birth control ad. <laughs> that, like from the from the designer and everything, it's all about birth control. <laughs> Something they could have used in Dirty Dancing that might have helped out the storyline in that movie. Oh. Mm, yeah, I brought it back. That's right. Now, this is really interesting to me because uh, a film I'm about to mention I also really like, and it's also done by an incredible director. But uh, Ridley Scott actually toyed with the idea of setting this film in the fic... I'm sorry, wrong one. Uh, he turned down to the opportunity to direct Blade Runner at first because he was actually working on Dune, which eventually became a uh, David Lynch film, which he actually... David Lynch takes his name off the movie because that was a, another background drama type thing to where he couldn't release the movie he wanted to. So if you look at Dune, you're like, hey, Trey on 80s Revisited said David Lynch directed it. It's going to say directed by Alan Smithy because that's just a dummy name because he didn't want credit for directing it. But it is directed by David Lynch. And despite the fact that he didn't have total creative control over the theatrical version of Dune, it's still pretty good. But there is a four-hour version out there that's more along the lines of what was he wanted. Scott? Remember Scott was watching it? Yeah. Remember that? I remember he had the DVD of it. And then Sci-Fi, of course, remade it you know, as a miniseries and the sequel. There's a ton of bo- uh, books about uh, in that series. Uh, and I think, like, uh, of course, Frank Abair write, writes the books of Dune, and he's dead. But I think his son actually continues the storyline and stuff, so... Pretty cool. That's a cool family business to uh, keep going, so to speak, even though your dad did all the work. Uh, just kidding. Whatever son of Frank A. Bear is called, Junior. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ridley Scott toyed with the idea of setting the film in a fictional city as well called San Angeles under the assumption that in the future uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles would merge into one big hub of humanity pretty much, which they didn't pan out for this movie. However, it was reused in another science fiction film, Demolition Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Demolition Man's bad, but it's still so good. It is. Yeah, it's bad yeah, good. It's just bad good. You can't help but really just enjoy it when you watch it. Mm. Uh, and, of course, one of the, the coolest things about this movie, and tying into the the fact, you know, is Deckard a replicant, blah, 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 is you can tell he's a replicant because they have that shining eyes effect. Mm-hmm. You, know talking, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Uh, the owl head? Yeah, mm-hmm. same thing. And that's actually an, a practical onset effect that they did. Uh, it's got a technique invented by Fritz Lang. It's called a Schuften process, and I probably butchered that name because it's German. Schuften, whatever. Sue me. <laughs> I don't care. Schmelt, I can't pronounce it. Uh, but anyway, light is bouncing to the actor's eyes off a, uh, what is a mirror? Um, a, half, a piece of half-mirrored glass mounted at a 45-degree angle to the camera. 
So they're just bouncing light to ref basically reflect the cornea, kind of like, I guess, similar how, I guess, night vision works in a, in a way, but without night vision, right. if that makes any sense. But there's a scene when Deckard's washing his face, and then he's, after him and Sean Young have obviously done the deed and they're talking in his apartment, there's a scene where he dries his face, and he, she's in the foreground, he's in the background, he looks up, and his eyes actually flash because they have that device on the camera. Now, in my opinion, that's simply circumstantial. That doesn't say he's a replicant. Ridley Scott came on, came out and said that, that, yeah, he's a replicant because of this scene. His eyes flash in there. He's a replicant. I don't buy that. To me, that because the ca that lens Wait, is mounted on the Scott camera. Said that? Yeah, but this is years, years later. Like after, but Harrison Ford says that him and Ridley Scott talked on set and agreed that Deckard isn't a replicant. But again, it's entirely what you th what you know. It's up to the viewer. The movie is ultimately up to the viewer. <laughs> Huh. But but here's the reason I think his eyes flash because this lens is mounted to the camera to make Sean eyes, Sean Young's eyes look like that. Well, they would have, and he's in the off. background. They would have in the final cut, which they didn't, because Ridley Scott flat out says he's a replicant. But to me, that cheapens the end because then it's a replicant fighting a replicant instead of a human fighting a machine, and then the machine makes a choice of humanity. Well, I would guess like if you know that he's a replicant, how, how do you, how long has he been around? That, well, that's the thing. You know, I mean, it's that, a four-year thing. He supposedly has. Well, again, Rachel's a new model that Tyrell yeah, says they could have full lifespans if De if Deckard is one. Well, if you didn't watch that other version, then you could yeah. pretty much assume well they're both going to live if you have that belief. Now, we'll we'll talking about like what goes on beyond. Now, before all this, you know, Ridley Scott comes out 10, 15, 20 years later and says, "Oh yeah, he's a replicant," and then other people contradict that who were on the set and say, "No, they decided this when they were doing it." Blah blah. blah. But he's the director. He's entitled to say what he wants to say. But again, to me, the director's cut's ambiguous in the discussion on that. But uh, there are, like, I think four sequel novels to the movie. I have the second one, the first one, I should say, but I haven't, I've never finished reading it. But it, it starts off to where Deckard is living as a I mean, he's a human in the novel. Uh, and basically he has a sort of, a, for lack of a better word, a cryogenic chamber where Rachel sleeps. And then once a month he wakes her up for one day. And they spend a day together and she goes back into stasis. Mm. Basically prolong basically... The book establishes that A, Deckard's human, and B, that he's keeping her alive through, like, you know, you know, as he gets older. Asian nurse, you know, they'll, slowly as possible. To where basically, you know, when he gets old, he'll die, and she'll, you know, she'll probably die you know, soon after that because of her lifespan. So it's a, which to me, that's a, that's a great way to even start a, a sequel if they think that they can't do now, because I mean, Harrison Ford's 71, so it'd have to be him dying it's or something. Three. Three novels. Three. Oh, yeah, it makes a total of four. I mean, because the novels are actually sequels. There's right, Blade right. Runner 2, Blade Runner 3, and Blade Runner 4. They, yeah. They didn't uh, do Blade Runner 1, though. <laughs> it was just a movie. So, right. Yeah, so in a sense, the movie, the movie itself is a quadrilogy, except three of them are books. Right. Excuse me. But yeah, I think <laughs> when his eyes flash simply because they have that lens mounted, and he, you know, it just, in a sense, I think that shot at least is circumstantial. Hmm. Based upon what other people say at the time they shot the movie, that everyone was in agreement that he wasn't a replicant. And in fact, that's really, when you watch a theatrical version, there's no question that he, that he's not a human being. It's the director's cut that adds that ambiguity to it, and mm -hmm. it's the final cut that more so pushes that, yeah, he's a replicant. And that's why they run off, instead of leaving it up to you to decide on what you feel and think, so. Hmm. Uh, oh, uh, I wondered this too. Actually, I read this off a website as it happened on screen. It was a brilliant moment of synchronicity. But uh, when she when Pris first first meets Sebastian, she kind of runs away from him. She hits that. She kind of slips and hits that car and breaks the window. That wasn't supposed to happen. She actually broke the window of that glass and chipped her elbow in eight places. And she kept going. She DiCaprioed that shit. <laughs> so good on you, Daryl Hannah. Go chain yourself to a tree to stop a bulldozer from tearing down a park. Is that what she does? 
No, I'm sorry. She climbed. She wouldn't get out of a tree. Like her and some other protesters climbed a tree that people, that the government was gonna uh, tear down for a freeway or something. But she got arrested. She's been arrested multiple times for activism. How about that? I mean, you know, there's more things to protect than trees, like yeah, you know, yeah, homeless I mean, people. They have tree and stuff like farms that. and stuff. Uh, this was pretty funny when they when they do that zoom in of the snake scale to determine what it is, and you see like the microscopic view of it. That's actually a marijuana bud, <laughs> not a microscoped vision of a snake scale. <laughs> so, all right. Now the next few things are gonna be a little long, so bear with me. But I didn't. This is pretty pretty funny. There's a lot of folklore about this movie, like behind the scenes stuff. Uh, there's the infamous T-shirt wars, which I'm not gonna go into because that would push this way long. But uh, one of the, there, you, you know, there's the Madden curse. You know, if the cover athlete of Madden won't finish the season, it's bad luck, blah, blah, blah. Which, of course, is only completely circumstantial. But there is something known as the Blade Runner curse. And now here we go. I will explain it to are, you. Are we going to potentially get the curse? No. If you <laughs> no. This basic, okay, in a nutshell, if you advertised in the movie, which you saw Coke, you saw TDK, you saw Atari, can, you then had an extremely bad financial thing happen to you. Can I... Venture off a little bit. Yeah, sure. Last By two movies means. we've done. There's two of us here, bro. The last two movies we've done. <laughs> Three of us. I'm sorry, Jesse. <laughs> I'm sorry, no, Daniel. No, he's 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 a replicant. He's oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where is he? Where is he? Um, That's the question. I've had big Coke thing. Ernest goes to camp. Had that vending machine Coke. Mm-hmm. And then, damn, what the hell did we do before that? What was uh, what was before? I even liked it. Superman two. Yeah, it has a big Coke, Coke billboard. Yeah. yeah. That they stand in front of yeah. like. I wonder how much Coke paid for all this. It's funny you mention that because before we went and saw Pacific mm-hmm. Rim the other day, like you know, Coke advertises in front of a movie, and my wife just asked me, like, you know, d- does Coke really even need to advertise? Right. Everybody knows what the fuck Coke is. They're just being cocky now. Like, mm-hmm. hey, look, look at the money we can put in a commercial. Yeah. I don't know, but just I mean that right. big Coke stuff in the eighties. So. Oh yeah. All right, continue. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Make up for that new Coke stuff. But uh, anyway. Uh, the Blade Runner curse is a belief that the film was a curse to the companies whose logos were displayed pro- uh, prominently in the product placements. A lot of them were market leaders at the time. Of course, uh, uh, GE uh, uh, in 1985 was... Uh, excuse me, hold on, I'm sorry. Let me get these. There's so many names. RCA uh, was at one time the leading consumer electronics and communications conglomerate. was bought out at one time uh, by parent GE in 1985 and dismantled. RCA went away. That's why you don't have RCA TVs anymore, which I used to have and played my Nintendo on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Atari, we know that. You know, dominated video games for a while, and then they went bust and came back as a, not as a console manufacturer, but a, a publisher. Yeah. yeah. Like Sega. Uh, Cuisinart went bankrupt in 1989, although it now lives under new ownership. Uh, the Bell System Monopoly is broken we up that same Cuisinart year. We have Cuisinart pots and pans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's back. It's back. Uh, Pan Am suffered the terrorist bombing destruction of Pan Am Flight 103 and went bankrupt in 91. Uh, and the Coca-Cola company, although it's still, obviously, a jog- media juggernaut, it suffered losses in the 80s after its induct- introduction of New Coke in 1985. So the movie goes on to be one of the greatest films ever, yet if you advertised in it, you were doomed. <laughs> You're doomed. Yeah, so that's funny. Or interesting, at least. But uh, reading all this, <laughs> it, it's almost over. I got I got two more two more things to talk about. Uh, but this is, of course, again there was in the eighty two. You had the theatrical cut. That was all you had until the reason there is a director's cut is simply be, practically an accident. A hap, one of the greatest accidents in history of accidents, aside from you know maybe the Titanic or something, because nobody actually died in this happy accident. Uh, 
but the original cut, without the voiceover, among other things, was thought to be non-existent. But in 1989, I've got to give credit to this dude for finding it, Michael Eric, a sound preservationist and director of asset management for Warner Brothers, stumbled upon a 70-millimeter print of the film while looking for footage for some other movie. Uh, several months later, the theater was having a classic film festival featuring 70-millimeter prints, and they thought it was reg- just a regular version of Blade Runner, so... They went and played it, and sure enough, what the fuck version is this? This isn't the theatrical. This isn't any other version. This is something completely new. And it was like, wait a second. This is, you know, they called Ridley up. They got him involved in it, uh, which he, which Scott said, I didn't do a director's cut. It's just, it was just a total different cut of the film that they had going and, you know, kind of lost through time, so to speak. Uh, however, uh, Scott and Michael Eric went on, you know, they to release the director's cut with... The unicorn vision, the voiceover missing from the beginning and end, and you know it ends with elevator door shuts, you know, which just those minor changes by themselves make the movie completely different, uh, a completely different experience, and naturally, like we said before, pretty much made the movie a cult movie. Uh, and of course, if you've never seen this movie, here is talking about it. First of all, spoiler alert. Uh, but just so you know, if you if you do want to see this movie, and I highly, more so than any other movie we've ever done on this podcast, aside from Star Wars, uh, you know, if, especially if you like science fiction or you just like you like visual movies, anything and good movie, I mean, everything about this movie is great. But anyway, just so you know, if you're, when you're looking to watch this movie, I would recommend get the director's cut or the final cut. Uh, but just so you know the differences, or if you think you've seen it before and like, hey, what are they talking about? Here's just a quick breakdown of the versions. Uh, there's a U.S. theatrical version, which was in 1982, 116 minutes. It's the original cut or the domestic cut. Voiceover, beginning and ending, ha- uh, beginning and end of the movie, happy ending, no unicorn dream. So when he holds that unicorn in the end, it's just like, wow, the dude was here. That's all that means. And then you had the international cut in 1982, which is a minute longer, and it's also known as the uncut version because it has about a minute more of violence. And it's ba- basically uh, the, one of the biggest scenes is when Batty kills Tyrell. It actually shows him stick his fingers in his eyes and blood come, you know, shows him kill him, basically, instead of just him kind of like, you know, crying out of anger when he kills him. Uh, and then, of course, in 1991, they had the 116-minute director's cut, uh, which removes the voiceover. They put the unicorn sequence back in, and there's no happy ending. It's ambiguous, which, again, to me, that makes a world difference and makes the movie so much better. And then, of course, the version that's probably more readily available now is the final cut version, uh, which clocks in at 117 minutes. It's also called the 25th anniversary edition. That might also, if you've seen that one or you see that one, that's this is the version you're watching. But again, it's sort of like a Blade Runner special edition uh, of the director's cut, which they added the international version gore back in, so it makes it a little different. Gives that extra minute of runtime. Uh, different unicorn dream still happens in the same place. Different footage though, uh, and of course the spe- a lot of the special effects were cleaned up. I believe in the final cut. Richter Howard, I think they put it as father, not fucker. Yeah. Uh, whereas in the director's cut, it's still fucker. I want more life, fucker, and not father. But either one works. To me, that's almost inconsequential. I mean, it does have a meaning, but, you know, whatever. Uh, but anyway, of course, we've mentioned before, or I've, I, as I, we started the podcast, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's definitely in my top three. If I, you know, run to my head... Dang, I said that too loud. <laughs> Somebody who listen to this in their car is like, Gah! swerving off the road. Hopefully Good. you're all right. Just re- regather yourself and, and keep driving. Good. But uh, just to give you an example of how highly regarded this film is among, in the especially the genre of science fiction. This is like, this is the science fiction Citizen Kane, in my opinion, uh, as well as, I mean, that's my wording to say that, but 
just to give you an example, in 2000, Movie Mail voted Blade Runner the fourth best film of all time. Also in 2000, BBC viewers voted it the second best film ever made. 2001, Empire Magazine, 16th best film of all time. Uh, Channel 4, I don't even know who that is. Again, this is just a list of accolades. Uh, voted it the eighth best film of all time in the 100 Greatest Film Poll. Uh, Online Film Critics Society voted it the second best science fiction film ever. I'd like to know what they picked over it. If I had to guess, I bet it was probably 2001. Uh, Wired Magazine voted it the best science fiction movie of all time. Uh, Sight and Sound voted it the seventh best film of the last 25 years, 2004. Uh, among 60 prominent scientists, The Guardian also voted it the best science fiction film ever, 2007, AFI, the American Film Institute, not the band, uh, which notoriously don't like science fiction movies. Like, they kind of shun them a little bit, except, like, the juggernaut like Star Wars simply because, like, oh, you have to put Star Wars on this list, or otherwise, like, simply because it's part of a society. But um, they named it the... Uh, the 97th greatest film of all time on their 100 film list, you know, but and that's that's still a high out of 100 greatest films from the American Film Institute. Of course, they have all them specials on TV, like oh, 100 laughs, 100 blah, you know, here's their 100 comedies, here's their 100 horror movies, blah blah blah. Uh, I thought I remember you having some discussion, you really liked 2001. Oh, it's really Walton. good. I thought that was, I oh, thought no. I remember you saying that was one of your favorite science fiction. I mean, if like, not your favorite. Like, if I had to pick the 10 best science fiction films, it'd be on there, but Blade Runner mm-hmm. would be number one yeah, by right. far. Start, you know, Empire Strikes Back would be probably number two, Sunshine number three, Children of Men number four, Fountain number five. This is off the top of my head. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if I really sat down, I could give you a definitive list, but this is just, I'm just spouting off like the ones I would put on that list immediately. I'll call you a pretty, I mean, your list is intelligent. Your list, I would take more than other people's because you love science fiction. Man. Thank you. I do. <laughs> I mean, Trey's <laughs> a tra- tra- science fiction guy, dude. And then, uh, it was also in the second most visually influential film of all time by the Visual Effects Society. Now, I don't know what number one is, but I would assume it would have to be Citizen Kane. Uh, otherwise, I have no clue what they would put above this. Uh, in 2008, New science, Scientist Readers voted it the best science fiction film ever made, and it is currently ranked the third best film of all time by the Screen Directory and the best science fiction film of all time by Futurist Movies. So, I'm not just Ta-da. talking out my ass. This is, again, this is the Citizen Kane of science fiction uh, and uh, I wish I want to say on one or maybe one of the this is this is the, probably the only movie I bought more than Hall- the original Halloween as in buying it on VHS mm-hmm. buying it on regular DVD director's cut DVD you know Blu-ray multiple times etc cetera, etc cetera. I bought this movie well I actually like tongue tying myself but of course I got the uh, the 25th anniversary edition was it had every version of the movie all the stuff up to that time. Uh, that's the last version I bought. They recently had like a 30, that was five years ago, and then they recently had the 30th anniversary edition, which is basically the same stuff. I think they had to make maybe a new documentary or something, but I've seen all I need to see on that. So that's all the kind of the gushing about it and discussion about it. But so any other thoughts on the greatest science fiction movie ever made? <laughs> <laughs> I'm worried if I'm going to get shot when I leave. No. <laughs> Again, now here's what here's the, here's the thing about this movie too, uh, you know, like you know when, when you tell somebody that a movie's a you know this is my favorite science fiction, this is one of my favorite movies, like no matter who you are, if somebody tells you that your expectations for this movie are already yeah. high, right? And you're how pro- many you know, times have you watched it? As much as Star Wars, to yeah. be perfectly honest, because this it's a movie that I'll put on like when I used to play WoW. Mm. And when I'm about to start playing Final Fantasy fourteen, like I'll put it on the computer just to have some, you know, while we're waiting, and we have downtime, I'll, you know, something to pay it background. Yeah, that's so that's to speak. the thing is I need to watch it more. And it, I, I mean, it I, gets honestly. I hate disappointing 
the fact that I'm not going to give this like 9.5 oh, or anything. And, again, uh, uh, it's not going to hurt my feelings. No, but I love you, Trey. I can't I'm, do that. It's not going to gonna hurt. Look, it's not going to hurt me. It's I give the you... film a 9.7. That's what I... Whoa, <laughs> Daniel's best favorite film ever. No, but I mean, uh, this is definitely a film... It's like, usually when there's a movie that comes out and there's like eight different versions of it, which that, they're few and far between, but, you know, like a distinctly different version, I'm reticent to watch every single one. Excuse me. But I have watched... Every version of Blade Runner, multiple times, just for because it's just a damn good movie. But also, it, and again, it's not a cop out. I think to say that the more if you watch it again, you'll like it a little bit more. Uh, just because again, if you want now, you know what to expect. So you're going into it. Of course, I you know I, I, before we did it when I we ended it last the podcast last week, I was like you know, we're going to do my, one of my favorite movies ever. You know, I kind of jaded you going into it, which I completely understand. And this is this is a very Compared to modern science fiction or modern mainstream science fiction, I should say, this is a definite departure from that because modern sci-fi, you know, doesn't touch this to me. Mm. You know, uh, After Earth does not hold a motherfucking <laughs> birthday candle to Blade Runner. But the the importance of this film, the, the important thing to realize, you know, no matter how you like the film or whatever, this is one of the most influential films ever made. And I meant to get a list of people who said they they were influenced by it, but I. I wrote so much other stuff. I got so excited watching the movie multiple times that I didn't get to that. But this vision, more than anything, Blade Runner, like, if you don't like the movie, nobody can say the movie doesn't look good. The the, the fact, and it's a technique that I forget, the set designer for this film, I forget his name, but it's called layering. This universe looks lived in. It, it's not Star Trek. Everything, you know, and that's a, I'm, I'm poking fun at Trekkies. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about how Star Trek, everything's nice and clean. There's no dirt in the future and nothing's ever beat up, even though the Enterprise gets shot to shit and mm-hmm. it's all still immaculately clean on the inside. Uh, but anyway, uh, this is a future that I don't want to live in. You know, I mean, it, it's uh, it's akin to a modern example would be, uh, say, the movie Drive. Uh, and what, but the comparison I'm drawing here is that, that the, everything in that world felt like it was part of cohesive. And that's a modern, modern crime movie, so to speak. But that it felt organic. It felt, you know, almost like you're not watching a movie. You're watching events unfold. This movie, for a science fiction movie, this movie has it. Like for example, The Matrix. When they're not in The Matrix, when they're supposed to be, and I love The Matrix, but when they're supposed to be living like they're living, all them dudes have had baths. They've at least shaved pretty recently. You know, they're eating corn or t- t- uh, no. He said it was a cereal. He thought it was, but you know, it looked like slop. But I mean. They're they're not you know they have sh- sh- uh, clothes with holes in them but there's not a speck of dirt on anybody, you know the real world Zion looks like a pretty cool place to hang out and have a rave, the living quarters might be a little cramped but they're kind of stylish, you know what I'm saying I mean it doesn't it doesn't have a cohesive feel to it when they're in the Matrix you can look whatever it likes because that's accepted but the real world's just like you know it's really not that bad if they just like stayed quiet and just lived there forever. They don't have to take a war to the machines. I mean, it's Zion's pretty nice. Nice natural cavern. You know, good good acoustics in the rave room for Morpheus to give his speeches. All that kind of stuff. You know, but Blade Runner, more than anything, again, you know, it, it has to be respected whether you like the movie or not as an influential film because it is. It's one of the most influential films ever made. And in my opinion... Uh, and I think I mentioned at the end of the episode last week as well, like this movie, when I've watched the director's cut more than any other movie at that age in my life, maybe uh, 14, 15, somewhere around there, that was when I was like, God, I want to make movies like this. Which, of course, I failed miserably at achieving that dream. So if I appeared <laughs> in my 15-year-old self, I said, yeah, sorry. Kind of went a different way. 
But you know, this is <laughs> this is a this is how I would like to hypothesize that had I pursued that career, my films would look like would everything I would make would be reminiscent of this movie. The look, the feel of this movie. You a big budget. Yeah. <laughs> or or it looked terrible, you know, but it would have that same aesthetic, the cheap aesthetic of, you know. Oh, well, you're not dead yet, so. Yeah, I got an always. iPhone. I'm sure there's an app. Somebody needs to make a Blade Runner app where you push a button and it makes everything. Oh, look you don't. You dystopian. want it to be easy. No, I don't want it to be easy. I just want to have access to it, so I can do something. But uh, but actually, actually, honestly, uh, well, I'll I'll bring it right back to Ridley Scott. Uh, of course, uh, '80s and '90s Ridley Scott fucking awesome like best director ever now to me he regained that title when he made prometheus because love or hate that movie it's visually astounding aside from the fact that when a spaceship's crashing the main character's running a straight line and not off to the side (laughs) that notwithstanding the movie looks phenomenal it's a gorgeous movie and i'm so excited for the sequel uh but that is an example of a modern science fiction film that has it everything fits in that world when they're on Earth or when they're on Prometheus itself or when they get to the alien planet, there is a sense of, of difference of worlds, but also, like, this could exist. Aliens was the same way. Aliens looked like this is an, an existing world. You know, it wasn't like when people try to make something futuristic by, you know, putting iPads inside, you know, a, a bigger holder and like, oh, yes, my digital pad here or whatever they call it. My mobile PC is doing this or, you know, Future stuff for the sake of, oh yeah, it's a future movie. This film didn't do it. There, there was an, a cohesive vision for the film, and everything applies to that vision. You know, the cop cars have to, you know, they tell people to stand clear before they take off because they have to vent and go up, you know. I mean, that that's logical. It seems like part, it's there for a reason. It's not just like, oh, watch this smoke come out of this vehicle being lifted by a crane off camera. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the, that makes any sense. The little, little bitty part where... Those little bitty guys are trying to take oh, yeah. stuff off his car. Jawas, <laughs> the Jawas <the> <laughs> looking. <laughs> yep. Well, it's a lot quieter when I turn off Trey's mic. I'm also not talking. I know. I did that while you were drinking water. Yeah, I don't want to offend Daniel. My my gullet. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> this mic's right up in my throat, bro. Cut me some slack, but uh. Yeah, there's nothing. I'm kind of gushing about the movie now, but definitely. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much, that's exactly what I'm doing. So, yeah. But bottom line, you know, if you haven't seen this movie and you like science fiction, my who is that? His wife. We're going to really Scott's wife. Damn. Is that his wife? I I would assume so. Gianna Facio, or Giannina. She has an extra I in there. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. She's nice. Yeah, that's his wife. She's pretty good. And poor Ridley Scott, too, you know, his, uh, his older brother died of cancer when, actually, when he was pre-Blade Runner. And, of course, his younger brother's Tony Scott, who did Top Gun, Nobody. True Romance. Uh, guess he was dating her. But anyway, then Tony Scott committed suicide, uh, I guess, about a year ago, maybe now or so, where mm-hmm. he, I think he just jumped off a bridge in L.A. So, pretty tra- you know, pretty sad personal life, but, I mean, I'll be damned if he's not a brilliant direct, absolutely amazing director. Uh, and I think his kind of direct, like the really strong visual style, but also a cohesive style, is something that's really lacking in Hollywood. Like, uh, uh, I, th- I think the closest we have to really Scott right now would probably be Del Toro or uh, oh, what's the dude that did District that's Nine? What I thought you were gonna say. 
Blomkamp. Uh, yeah, Neil Blomkamp. Like, of course, Elysium looks fantastic, but it, yeah, it you know, it looks like District mm-hmm. Nine <laughs> <laughs> until they get to Elysium. But District Nine, you know, again, a cohesive world. It looks and like and like for example, when I watched the trailer for Oblivion, that Tom Cruise movie, I'm like this movie looks so nouveau sci-fi. Like it's so like obviously futuristic. Like we're trying we're trying too hard to make it futuristic. He looks nothing like I thought he'd look. Neil, <laughs> Neil Blomkamp. Yeah. Like that dude looks like you know a bully in Save by the Bell or something. <laughs> what, he, what did you imagine? He's deep. I don't know. Just like a goateed, bald guy, like skinny. I don't know. Very artistic. Yeah, deep. like in Save by the Bell. Yeah, but uh, Blomkamp and, and Del Toro, or especially Del Toro, as I'll get to in a second, uh, to me are the mo- more like the modern day Ridley Scotts, especially in the t- in Elysium and of course Naturally Pacific Rim, which came out recently. Uh, that's pretty much all I need to say about this film. I think. I mean, I could keep that's going. That's it. No, I could, I, dude. I could keep fucking talking. Oh, speaking of which, I didn't bring this up, but in the mo- in the models for the city, because of course that's all practical effects. You know, they're moving the camera over a model. That if you there's a couple of shots, if you look closely, you can see pieces of the Millennium Falcon, because they bought a Millennium Falcon model kit to help make mm-hmm. parts of the building. So Google that shit, and you see parts of the the MF in the BR. Oh, and also, if you like those LED. Uh, Umbrellas they have in Blade Runner, you know, that light up. That's pretty cool. They sell them at thinkgeek.com. <laughs> I don't have one because I never use an umbrella even when it's raining. I just run. You need to do it just to do it, just at night. I need to get a, I need to get a brown trench coat, too, and I just carry mm-hmm. them all, like, and just be like, yep, there's the Falcon. Yeah, the whole top of the building, huh? Pretty much. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, yeah, like the, oh, wait, over, over here, here, they yeah, the side of it. Okay. And there's other parts where you can kind of see the, uh, like, the prong part of the hole, the front at the top of the hole, where the kind of the holes are. You can see them there. And actually, this yeah, that picture right there that you have the, the mouse on. Of course, you, sorry people that can't see it at home. Just Google it, and you'll see some pictures. But yeah. you can blatantly see pieces of the Falcon in the architecture. So maybe maybe Han Solo crashed on Earth, and they used part of his ship to make a building, and he became a Blade Runner. <laughs> there you go. And there's there's that meme going around like, you know, what if, what if uh, Indiana Jones was actually the dreams of Han Solo Wise and Carbonite? I think Blade Runner is the dreams of Han Solo Wise and Carbonite. <laughs> Makes more sense because it's futuristic and he's different, and he still kind of goes after a. I know what princess. you're talking about. Ain't that awesome? Still, <laughs> I get that reference. Mm. Yep, yep, yep. So, check it out if you haven't seen it, <laughs> Daniel. Go ahead and give me your score. I'd probably give it about a six nine. That, like that. I told you I didn't. That's, hey, that's yeah. fine. There was I'll, nothing. I was like, God. I'll come see on. your six nine and raise it three fucking points. Oh! It gets a nine point nine on the tray scale, and that's the adapted tray scale. That's not the the scale I've been using. That's like the honest to God. If I had to give that, this movie a rating, that's that, what that I would means. Give it. Like if it's if you gave something a nine three, it's horrible. No, <laughs> it's just it, no. Just to show you movie, the level of how awesome yeah. this is above everything else. I mean, I truly believe that, but I wouldn't say nine three in my scale is bad. I'm just <laughs> saying that. Honestly, here's the reason I'll give it an. I'm saying a nine nine, because there are so few films I out there. I did it nine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm doing? The, huh? What's that? Uh, cool. Runs. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I run it in nine nine. <laughs> Maurice. Anyway, but it's nine nine because to me there, I, I I long for a film like this to come out. Children of Men was close. The Fountain was close. Sunshine's right there for me as far as a science fiction film, but Blade Runner. Danny Boyle's another one like I'd put there with Del Toro and Blomkamp although uh, Boyle doesn't really specialize so to speak in sci-fi more so as Del Toro or uh, uh, Blomkamp tends to 
but he's a fantastic visual director as well. Uh, Ang Lee, honestly, of course he did the original Hulk, which you know, not well received. But I mean, Life <laughs> of Pi, that's to me that's in a sense science fiction, in a way, uh, with the imaginative aspect of it and the visual aspect was phenomenal. Yeah, but um, to me, Blade Runner is one of those movies that is a step apart from overrated trite. I'm looking up one-star reviews. Form a cost-ass. You better run, motherfucker. <laughs> probably some two-year-old. Like, my dad likes this movie. I want, or not two-year-old, because he wouldn't be able to type all this. You know, it's probably some pompous-ass 12-year-old. My dad made me watch this movie instead of the new Twilight because he wanted me to see what a Trey, real movie is. And I was a, like, what the hell? It's a boring, overrated piece of cinematography crap that nobody <laughs> outside the community actually likes. Even though I've had all my life to watch this movie, I've never made it... That, all that of my 11 you, years on earth I've had no, to watch no, this movie but that takes the whole thing right out of it I've never made it the whole way through one sitting oh you never oh so you didn't finish it. the he movie he never so. even watched the whole movie oh okay if you watch the theatrical cut you have some merit <laughs> but if you watch the director's cut go fuck yourself overrated trite one star 24 out of 48 people found the following view useful you all need to go fucking you know Chase a fucking comet and now, I thought the take ending, some poison. I thought the ending was the Swallow best part. Swallow the Kool-Aid. The best part of the movie. I love that This person watched the, the director's cut. And boy, is it boring. Easily the most boring film I've ever seen since Avatar. Okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, there are literally five things that happen in this movie. People read way too far okay, look, in look. this movie about how it's supposed to be and how the rob- robots were more human than the people. Personally, I believe that's a load this of... This is actually kind of a funny review. There are literally five things that happen in the movie. <laughs> really? Five things? That's it. And he doesn't even name them. Nope. I would love for him to name them, <laughs> just to see yeah. what the five things he thinks happen. The film was too long? No, it wasn't too long. It was shorter than I thought it was going to be. Less than two hours. Yeah. The commentary had listened to somebody give it a... St- oh, did you even watch it without the commentary? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, everybody's <laughs> entitled to their opinion. But yeah, the bottom... I like all kinds of movies. Now, of course, growing up in the 80s, most of the movies that we were subjected to and the, the cartoons are all science fiction. So naturally, you know, a lot of my favorite films are science fiction and fantasy because in our era of growing up, that was the bi- a, a huge thing. That was a big, you know, it's, you know, all you motherfuckers liking Twilight and all that shit, that's fucking science fiction. A little bit of science and fiction. That's what science fiction is. Science, you know, some fact that they're human beings and the fiction, there's some motherfucking vampires. That's a, I'm just snowballing here. Help me out, guys. <laughs> Harry uh, Potter. That's no. science fiction. It's fucking Star it's Wars without lightsabers. With, with fantasy <laughs> elements wands. part of it. I yeah, mean, I mean, yeah. science fiction Magic. and fantasy are Oof. roughly the same thing. Because, I mean, you have people in armor, you know, there's science to it, but then you add, you expand on that, be it in the past or the future. Science fiction doesn't have to take place in the future, and that's kind of a pigeonhole thing for the genre, you know. Uh, Every comic book movie you watch is science fiction. That's science. Vendors, that's science fiction. That's mm-hmm. not, you know, comedy. That's, and it is also an action movie. Many science fiction movies are action movies. Aliens is probably the greatest action movie ever made next to Die Hard. Uh, you know, so, anyway. Get off these one. These are, I feel, my, I feel my, my heart going, goo, goo, goo. Hated it. No, there's nothing I like more than a than someone who can give a well- thought like i didn't like it because of this blah you know point a point b point c like but it's one of those things where if you liked it so much 
and you're clouded on your judgment of it. Because but of I know the I'm fact. not clouded on my judgment at first for one reason, because I'm not. I don't hate you first of all because you gave it a six point nine. <laughs> I know this. You know. No, I'm saying if you got into an argument with a guy that gave it a one out of ten. Oh yeah, I won't get an argument. I just say why don't you tell me? Imagine explain why you like with it. Cave about this. What if Cave just <laughs> he would just, just yell uh, over me and say no, no, it's stupid. Well, that's probably what that type of person. And I would just that say just okay. Wrote that review and. The, the best point the, the best way to win an argument in five seconds with with a lot of people baseball most, bat that that's true <laughs> nonviolently oh it's simply know when that. they say because most people that don't know something or don't know how to explain themselves or there's that Jeff Bridges movie saying about look that's Rooster Cogburn in the future or the past as a knight with a flaming stick seventh son yeah if you want a visual S O N son yes yeah not S yeah good good call but anyway. Uh, Here's a key to win an argument with somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. And this is how also how you can find out how they don't know what they're talking about. When they say, oh, that's fucking stupid. You just say, why? They say, Guess what 90% of people will say? It's, it's just stupid. I mean, yeah. it's, it's dumb. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, man. It's just, you know, and then you, you won. Because remember, remember, everybody, to win an argument, you don't have to prove your point. You just have to prove the other person wrong. You said pretty uh, prove the other person doesn't have a point. Yeah, pretty much. That's all you gotta do. And now, now that's like running away from a bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't be last. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, I have no problem with people that don't like this movie. I don't have a problem with people that don't like any movie as long as you can, you know, we can have a cool discussion about the. Hot, the that's why I always ask you, what do you like about what you didn't like about, it? and we 6. do that right 9. here. Yeah, I you like know? the movie. I just, I think it. For a first viewing, it got a little overblown. Yeah, and this is this is a you know I'm not I'm not trying to sound like one of those oh yes, this film is so amazing I'm like but this is a different level of science fiction than a I mean, lot of people are used to today. But you have a more you have a better opinion than me on movies. Get that to you right. That's like me with Thank sports. With oh yeah, mo- most sports. I definitely agree. But I mean, in the same you same would principle. follow your opinion over mine. At least most people should <laughs> when yeah. it comes to movies. I agree. I agree with that. <laughs> Don't go spend your money on Iron Don't make Iron Man 3 higher grossing than the Avengers because it doesn't deserve it. It's like, but up too it's late, like you fuckers did it. Jesse with creative aspects. Yeah. You're going to follow Jesse's rule over us, too. <laughs> yeah. Anybody can write a script in a day. Wow. Yeah. And, and among, among your other talents as well. <laughs> Painting something. Yeah, I got bored. I just painted this picture of Wolverine, which looks pretty good. Yeah. Really yeah, good. Yeah, give me something to do while watching. Yeah, I was uh, bored today. Game. I thought I'd be creative and make art. What'd you do today, Trey? I don't know. Played Final Fantasy fourteen beta. And Are you in that? Yeah. Are you going to talk about that later? I'll talk about it next week. Okay. Because I already got next something week. to talk about today. <laughs> All right. Let me, anyway. do, let me do a quick sports rewind. It's yeah. Not, it's not the... Sports rewind. All right. It's one of those... <laughs> I'm watching Trey take a drink and he's like <laughs> aimed all the way opposite of the mic. Poor guy. The things I yeah. do for you. <laughs> this was just a little... Sport. This is kind of more me and Jesse. Kind Ooh. of. Um, Ooh. There was a June 25th birthday. He was born in 1981. His name of Matt Schaub. Do you know who uh-huh. it is? Okay, he's a he's a starting quarterback for the Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. And the reason I kind of get into this is that one year. How old is this dude, first of all? <laughs> That's a horrible picture. Of he was born in 1981. Wow. So he is your age. Gore. Yeah. Poor guy. Dude looks 37, <laughs> going on 40. But uh, he was drafted, I think he played for Atlanta, and then he was a backup for Mike Vick and got signed by Houston. But 
One year he was my fantasy quarterback, and we all know that's coming up pretty soon. Huge deal. Pretty Probably soon. about a month and a half from now. Football will be just well less than that for football to actually start, but before like the fantasy draft be a little less than a little more than a month from now. Uh, and I was thinking about Jeez, like just in searching. what ten years, how much bigger fantasy football has become. Like mm-hmm. it's it's million dollar industry now. Just in, yeah, so many nerds out there. No? Yeah. It's so big, no, the new sports. Xbox has fantasy integration to when you watch a game. What? You serious? The Xbox One. I didn't know that. Like it, mm. it, I think if, you, if you're doing your fantasy league on ESPN or something, because it's yeah. already integrated, as you're watching, like if you're watching the Saints play the Falcons, and, it'll you, show and, that, and like, Peyton Manning's playing on the other channel, it'll in real time on the sidebar like pop up, like you just got 10 points. Cause, <laughs> Peyton Manning was my yeah, quarterback. And all, like you can <laughs> click a button and see like how everybody else is doing in your league, all in real time. Jesse, uh, he played with us and... He didn't for a couple of years, and he got back into it. I actually almost won the thing two years ago. I think he made it to the championship game. Had a lot of injuries last year. Kind of yeah. you over. I've done okay. Like, yeah, you've done But really not first. Well. That's the thing. He'd, I always get way up there, top four, maybe. That's, a, that's the only thing. I don't really care for fantasy. You can play You can play really well during the regular season, get your the first seed and all, and just lose it all in one game. But that's how it is in football, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why they do yeah. that, I think. But it just sucks that you kind of. I'm kind of wondering if I should give our first and second an advantage. Have six teams in the playoffs. First mm. two get a bye. Oh, just like in football. Yeah, first two get that a probably bye. Probably would be the yeah, only bad thing about it is it, it shortens the season one one season of the regular season. That's the only bad thing oh, about it. Oh, cuts that. into it. Because I wouldn't want to go into the seventeenth, the last week of the season, because there's a lot of people sitting on the bench. Yeah. You don't want to have Aaron Rodgers in there. Fourteen and two, and then secured a home field advantage. He's not going to play. Or yeah. thirteen and two, he's not going to play in that last game. Why would he? Stupid, stupid to do that. Drew Brees did that. But anyway, email us at eighties revisited. <laughs> Tell us how you do your playoffs in your fantasy league. And I'll say your picks. And I'll say, your- <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to that though. It'll be fun. Uh, I'm trying to find a spot right now to do. Oh, you have an open spot. Oh, a place a, to do a it. A place to do it. We're not doing it at this place we did it last year. Why not? It, I want us to be a little bit more closed in. Yeah. Remember how much trouble some of us had seeing that. That's yeah, I agree. You, you want to say this place publicly? Yeah, I had Twin Peaks. There was nothing wrong with, like, the, the Hooters equivalent. Yeah. Basically. That that entire building is a disgrace to humanity. To take the name of a great TV show and turn it into a titty bar <laughs> you where there's no titties. David Lynch themed posters. No, well, like a, when that place was being built, the building looks nice. I've never been there. You know, right. it looks. I'm like, oh, and like Twin Peaks. Oh, I wonder what you know. It never dawned on me that like it was gonna because I never heard of it before. It's like oh, I like the TV show, not like, Sorry, like not mm-hmm. that I expected it to be a, Actually, a restaurant themed on this TV show, Twin Peaks, but <laughs> I did not expect it to be you know to me titty bar with covered titties. The food Food's is decent, ten times better than Hooters. Melissa and I go there. Yeah, I don't think it's bad food. Often. I just didn't like us the fact that it was kind of like a long rectangular table. And there was some people towards the end. Yeah, you need a place with a room. Yeah, with their own room where you can just get up and not have to worry about moving and hitting people in your way. I'm going to try to find that. If you have any ideas, like if where you work, any yeah. of the restaurants have anything like well, that. Well, I know not to bring it up since we had a bad experience last time. I know Buffalo Wild Wings does that. They do, but yeah. you don't really have your own little room. And plus, you're you won't get service for two hours. I'm sorry about that, by the way. Uh, that ain't your we'll, fault. We could have <laughs> predicted we'll they were going to be shorthanded. Every now and then, I'll... I like to get the group together for the like who's line or just yeah. to have people. A ton of people can ask me, "Why are you? Was there a reason you're doing this?" 
getting the group together? No. I just wanted to go eat with the crew. Just Because Trey gave me a gift card to, for my birthday. No, we go eat there all the time. I know, but I gave you that gift card with the hope that you'd be like, hey, y'all want to come eat a Buffalo Wild Wings with us? And, and it, it backfired horribly. They were short-staffed, what they said, and... Sorry for any... That guy was not short-staffed, but whatever. Go on. That was it his just, excuse for giving a shitty service. No kidding. He gave us it the took warning about, ahead of time. what, an hour and 15 minutes from after we ordered for the food to actually come out. It was just... I left. Yeah. I got um, my drinks, and I was like, okay. It, it was very bad. Almost an hour to get drinks. And I hate I'm to say go. that, because some, the, certain, certain wing sauces there are fantastic, but we'll, we'll find a spot. I'll get a good one. Uh, go to the, stop going to that one. <laughs> That one's always horrible. The one at LSU is better. Okay. Ah, there college kids. Actually, well, at the time I go in at 1 a.m., it's well, not that yeah. bad. <laughs> <laughs> and that was all of Sports and Restaurant Rewind. <laughs> and now we come back to the present from the 80s. Talk about something hot, cool, and current. And what else is more hot, cool, and current than the brand new film from Guillermo del Toro called Pacific Rim? which I just got out of a few days ago seeing it on Thursday, and it was fucking awesome. I'll be seeing that soon. And that was Back to the Future. (laughs) (laughs) That was it? No. Uh, It's not doing very well. Grown Ups 2 beat it. Are you serious? Which is... On Friday. Well, here's here's my... Okay, first of all... I want to see it pretty bad. I do too. July 4th weekend, Lone Ranger opens opposite of uh, one of the kids' movies. Not Despicable Me 2, because that was this week, but the other kids' movie that opened the same week as Lone Ranger, like, killed it. In the uh, oh Monsters Inc. Yeah, or Monsters University. Yeah, like destroyed Lone Ranger. Now, granted, I want to see my. It's a Pixar movie. I'm going to see yeah. it. I went and saw Lone Ranger. Lone Ranger was great, great movie. I it had the greatest action like at the beginning and the end. Yeah, I mean it. It, it is about 20 minutes too long, like every yeah. other all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. It's formulaic like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, but the main difference is you got Army Hammer. Army Hammer is a fucking awesome actor and should be in more Good things. Good name. <laughs> yeah. I think he's related to like the that company. I don't know. There's, there's somebody named like he's a junior or something. So oh, wow. I don't know how far that rabbit hole goes, and I don't care. <laughs> but uh, Lone Ranger was great. Like I had a smile on my face the entire time. It's extremely enjoyable. The only bad thing about it is again, like it's twenty minutes too long. But Army Hammer keeps getting typecast as like sort of like a Brendan Fraser. Like I, I'm a hero, but I'm kind of a bumbling hero. What other movie? Is uh, Mirror Mirror, same character. He's the prince, but he's like kind of bumbling. Didn't see it. <laughs> it's a great movie. Did you see Snow White and the Huntsman? No. Good. If you want to see one of the two dueling Snow White movies, go see Mirror Mirror, which is directed by Tarsem Singh, who's another great modern director, by the way. He did The Fall, uh, what is it? The Cell. That's a pretty boy. Yeah, Immortals. <laughs> yeah, a guy could just stare at him. Oh, for right. Him. He was the, the Winkle Boss. He was the Winkle yeah, Boss. Social Network. That's right. He was in Jay Edgar. I forget who he was in there. He had like a smaller part. Anyway. But he's a great actor. In fact, uh, me and my friend Perry were talking, like, if they did, in, if they remade Star Wars now, or they had to recast it for whatever reason. He'd be my pick for Han Solo. That's the first time I saw him. He was a background actor in Arrested oh. Development. <laughs> That's funny. I remember someone pointing him out. That's yeah. hilarious. But he w- Lone Ranger was great. It was a, just a fun, good time at the movies. Good popcorn movie. You know, it's not like one like, oh, yeah, it's not going to win the Oscars, but it was great. Give me a... A score? Yeah. I'd give it a... A Pacific Rim score. Oh, well, yeah. let me. I want to talk. I'll talk. Oh, okay. Yeah. Lone Ranger, I'd say, is like a seven point five, mm-hmm. eight. You know, it's a it's a good movie. I might I'll probably pick up the Blu-ray just because I found it highly enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, and I've, I've ever since I was a kid, my dad always told me about the Lone Ranger, and like we had a VHS of some of the old black and white with Clayton Moore as the Lone Ranger and Tondo. So you know, and he's a pop culture icon. He's a pop. He's a folk hero practically. Uh, but it was just a good movie. But anyway, uh, back on topic. It opened in advance, uh, same day as Monsters U. 
damn right it's going to get fucking killed because to and a topic for discussion amongst us too is that you know why would what a horrible idea to release a movie not going to understand the logic like oh the parents will drop their kids off to see monsters you and then we'll go see Lone Ranger or you know something more adult while their kids are in that that doesn't seem to be the case anymore because every time all of these animated movies have bigger openings than you know or as big of openings as Iron Man 3s or Avengers or big budget movies they don't where, split theaters anymore like yeah. that yeah the parents are in there too yeah exactly kinda, exactly you kind of wonder if like a movie like Lone Ranger or this one would be better off opening now it's one of the better times of the year would be March yeah. you see how there's a lot of March movies that do well now well the thing is don't open when there's anything else opening you know I mean they, they <laughs> well, plan these I mean it, that's it, hard, yeah I know it is but the thing is to me if you're making an animated movie you have such an advantage oh what's opening that day the new Star Wars Spickable Me 3 Star Wars killed the box office by the Despicable Me 3. Like, I could see that could happen. Because, uh, uh, I mean, would, it wouldn't yeah, happen yeah. with Star Wars, but, uh, you know, These uh, new Thor movies, 2. Yeah. If, if there's an anime, if How to Train Your Dragon 2 opens the same day as Thor 2 or Captain America 2, Iron Man 4, whatever the fuck, Ant-Man, I don't care, it's going to get killed. Because people are going to go see these, these animated movies. Uh, and, you know, it's also, when we were kids, like, the anime movies we had, you know, 80s Disney wasn't top of the line, but you know, early 90s Disney, fuck yeah, that's when they started getting you know, the Disney dynasty. So they, they kind of are the second coming of the mouse, as I kind of joke. Uh, but I think uh, Lone Ranger was great, but again, it, yeah, it, it's getting demolished in sales because it opened the same day as Monsters You. Bad timing. Pacific Rim, I want that movie to do so good because I want more movies like this. Original. Exactly. Uh, and it's, I, I, I knew when. Despicable Me 2, first of all, they've been publicizing the piss out of that movie. I've had all the movies I've seen for the past three months, I've had that damn minion thing where they have to change the light bulb in front of the movie. And it's yeah. so flipping annoying because I've seen it more than I've seen Star Wars uh, because it's in the front of everything. But Pacific Rim is phenomenal. It's not, I don't think it's better than like Man of Steel or Star Trek, uh, but visually, it is so, it is unlike anything you've ever seen. We've all seen Godzilla movies. They're, you know, I like Godzilla movies. They're fun, especially the old ones with the people in suits. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, we've okay. had the displeasure of seeing the new, the recent Godzilla. Now, real quick, like Godzilla was a horrible movie, but I could sit there and watch it just because of special effects. Yeah. So I'm gonna. This movie yeah, would be if Pacific Rim <laughs> doesn't win the Oscar for best visual effects. Something's wrong. There's really nothing comes close to me. And here, well, here's one of the reasons why. First of all, as you see from the cover and the name of the movie, Pacific Rim. They do 90% of their fighting in the water. So in addition to giant robots, uh, giant machines, basically, I mean, they're, I guess, are they still robots if a human's controlling it? I don't know what the technical term for that would be. But, uh, and giant Godzilla monsters fighting in water. So visually, it looks, uh, with that, you know, water is always one of those things that in a movie can kind of really quickly break the illusion. But this film looks so good. The mechs will come out of the water like every you. you I can look for because I saw it in IMAX, 3D too, and the 3D was great. But uh, you see little drops of water dripping off little intricate parts inside the mech, like and the realism of it, like it's standing up and like if it bends over, the water that's on top of it pours off. Like it's all it going along the lines of Blade Runner, to where it is a cohesive universe. Like I believe that this universe exists on an alternate Earth or you know however you want right. to say it. And the story's really good. My only complaint, no spoilers in this, because I know a lot of people haven't seen it. It's really fresh. I highly recommend it. This is a perfect summer movie. Like, 
this like independent like this is almost like a new Independence Day to me like in a sense like you know a big you know although this has a little more substance than Independence Day uh, you know just a blockbuster amazing effects big destruction blah 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 uh, phenomenally directed my only complaint with it is is that the dramatic aspects of the story kind of show up a little bit late as far as the 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 character interaction. Uh, there's no big, you know, there's not like a big twist or anything, but the, the heart of the movie kind of starts pumping a little, you know, the second half. Uh, it, it starts strong. It does have a little drop in it to where they're explaining the situation. It, it really, it's not annoying because the cast is really good uh, and the progressing stuff. But, you know, again, you kind of want to see the robots fight Godzilla pretty much. So, but mm. believe the, it, like Transformers 3, the last half of the movie is pretty much exactly what you want to see. And it is fucking awesome. Uh, the trailers really you know, a lot of people don't like to watch trailers trailers really don't give away too much of it uh, but it's really really good uh, it's probably maybe the third best film of the year like or I wouldn't say like third best but like it's it's one of my favorites for the year I will buy this the day it comes out on Blu-ray and just watch it over and over it's a fun film uh, highest possible recommendation I'll give Pacific Rim probably an 8.5 like it's it's and again it's this is one of those movies that sucks compared to Blade Runner <laughs> It's no Blade Runner. Visually, it's a Blade Runner, but everything else is not a Blade Runner. 9.9, 8.5. pretty huge. Again, there's a gap. There's still a, there's a, a gap there between the quality. Yeah, uh, it's like 14% worse than Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on IMDb, I mean, as you can see, it's already an 8.0, which is pretty good for IMDb users. I mean, I'm not sure what Rotten Tomatoes is saying about it. I think the lovers it. shoot go to IMDb quick so it it's always starts off high and then yeah it over time it yeah. it'll drop back down but the the beauty of the, about this movie this is one of those movies that you know because it's probably not going to make 400 million dollars that we're not going to see a movie like this for a very 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 long time uh it's not the kind of genre that you know is like a a big draw i guess at this day and age like if i was a kid like I, the first thing i'd be wanting after this movie is to go buy the toys like Pacific Rim is fucking awesome, but it's not. It's it's gonna you end did up being buy the toys. Yeah, in a sense, the hero clicks, <laughs> which are as big as toys. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's a great film. Highest possible recommendation. Uh, please go give it your dollars at the theater. Like show you know because if this if it does good, a you can have a sequel, which you know you know I'm always up for. If the Toro comes back, that's great. But you know this this is these are the kind of movies that we need to see more of. That they take chance, big chance, you know, pun intended, big chances. Uh, and you know, we have to reflect that at the box office for those them to keep, or even taking risks on other ideas that seem like you know, I got this idea, you know, I got the idea, uh, giant man-powered robots are going to fight these giant creatures from the sea. That's kind of <laughs> Schwarzenegger, not Del Toro, I guess, but you know, and yeah, <laughs> you know what's going to be great that they're going to attack, and and I could you could just put robot parts on me and I can destroy them myself, you know. <laughs> But especially, but honestly, this movie probably got greenlighted. I would imagine probably because the Avengers was so big, and that was a big kind of destruction, you know, Independence Day esque. Again, I'm using that comparison for like a summer, uh, worlds destroy, you know, massive destruction, blockbuster kind of big event movie, so to speak. Uh, so please speak to Hollywood with your dollars. Check out uh, Pacific Rim and The Lone Ranger too. I recommend them both. They're both really good. And that's all for that. Uh, in this podcast because it's going on pretty long yeah. but uh, real quick uh, in the real world again June 25th 1982 that was the original theatrical release uh, the Falklands War ends and f- the former surrender of the Argentine forces and the liberation of the Falkland Islanders so just to place this movie in history 
And again, don't forget, everybody, if you want to talk more about Blade Runner, you can always hit us up on email, 80srevisited at gmail.com. Also on Facebook, uh, Awesome Podcast Network. Give us a like, drop a like, drop us a line on Twitter. So if you want to be a tweet or uh, send a tweet, if you want to be a twit and send a tweet, I don't know where I'm trying to go with that, uh, at Awesome Podcasts. And don't forget, Geekly Dose is still out there. They have a very sporadic schedule because Steven's up in Seattle and Tim's still here doing work on his documentary and everything. So keep your ears and eyes posted on Stitcher and iTunes for when the next episode of that will be around. And again, tune back, come in, come back next week. I'm not going to tell you the movie, but if you know what I'm about to say, you'll know what we're going to do. So I'll leave you with this clue for next episode. Wherever there is evil... Oh, I fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do the whole podcast over. Yeah, start it over. Start it over right now. Hold on. Where, uh, what is the first damn line of it? Wherever there's evil, we'll be there. I think that's what... Yeah, I was right. Never mind. I didn't fuck it up. I just thought I fucked it up. Wherever there is evil, you will find us. Wherever there is suffering, we'll be there. Yeah. Wherever liberty is threatened, you will find the Awesome Podcast Network. <laughs> so until next time, everybody, tune in for that movie, if you know what that is. Google it. Hats off to you. My three hat. Our three hats are off to you. Uh-huh. Why is that a clue? Oh my God. Until next week, everybody. I'm Trey Harris. I'm Daniel San Angelo. Jesse Sedgley. Kawa, Blade Runner's best movie ever, Bunga. All right, we're done. Scooch. <laughs> <laughs>